Hello, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. Morning, everybody. I am here bright and early. It's early in the morning, and I'm here with my early bird buddy, <laughs> Lisa Coons. Currently, we're actually in uh, outside of Denver, up in the Colorado Mountains, because we're both part of a kind of a global roundtable for twenty four seven prayer. And we were here for some meetings, and I thought, oh, I can't see Lisa in person without interviewing her for the odor of the mustard seed. So. Lisa, we've known each other for about 10 years, mm-hmm. and since I stumbled across your work online and came down to see what on earth were you doing down in Charlotte, North Carolina, all this prayer mission justice stuff. Um, so we've been friends for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so talk to us, where are you at right now? Well, right now I'm the National Prayer Director for 24-7 Prayer in the United States. I just recently moved my family from Charlotte, where uh, that's where I met Jill, um, handed over that work of permission justice to the next generation. So that team is taking it forward. And I live currently in Tulsa, Oklahoma. God help me, I live in Tulsa, <laughs> Oklahoma, looking forward to building a new work with 24-7 prayer in that context, even while I'm serving nationally. Yeah. So the um, talk to me about why? Well, you, you said this, oh, okay, Tulsa, Oklahoma, oh my, oh goodness. And, you know, people, you, you may or not guess it from Lisa's voice, but Lisa is an African-American woman. And um, talk to us about the cultural context of where you're, you're at in the cultural context in the USA. Well, I was raised in Detroit um, for the, the largest part of my life from two years old to 20. And in Detroit, the, the cultural context was African-American. I mean, we rarely saw people that weren't African-American. And so when I followed the call of God to move to Oklahoma, I was set in a context where that was reversed, where I hardly ever saw an African-American and I was placed in a predominantly white context. And the culture shock of it all, I don't think I've ever gotten over, not really. <laughs> not really. And while it was difficult, to be sure, culture shock is a real thing, um, there was an intention of the Lord to place me in an environment where I was... Um, where there was required diversity, where I had to learn the tools to, um, to get along and to integrate and to fit in this new context in ways that we could still further the kingdom together. And there's so many lessons I've learned from it uh, that I get a chance to teach on even in these days. That's wonderful. And, and you are... A spiritual director, mm-hmm. you know, and you shape leaders. I remember when I came to visit you down in in, um, in Charlotte. You, you know, you sort of had this steady stream of, of local pastors who would come to meet with you for spiritual direction. And so, you know, spiritual formation has been, you know, a big part of your life and ministry. And yeah. so, you know, talk to me then. Why, why the OMS? Why would you join a religious order? It is surprising, especially as a black woman. <laughs> But the truth is, the the six practices of the OMS order, the uh, the ethos, its core values, 
deeply resonated with the lifestyle that I was living and the things that I prioritized. And those things, they rise above ethnos and language and tribal identity, these, these values that are kingdom-oriented that God really invites us all to hop on and take a journey with him through. And, and so I was just super pleased that uh, that this context came through 24-7 because it put participating in in an order within reach of ordinary Janes and Joes like myself, where normally it would have been out of touch because I viewed it as cloistered, uh, cloistered in particularly um, solely in the Catholic context. So to have it um, on-ramped in into my locale and, and an invitation that made it possible for people like me to say yes was quite a wonderful thing. Mm. So yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, you know, where oftentimes I'll ask members in, a, in, in our conversation, which of the six practices are you really kind of digging into right now or where the, the invitation of the Holy Spirit has been for you to live into in a particular way? And, I've always been a person whose life was oriented around justice in one form or another, but I am in, in a season, and particularly the season that I joined the order in, I was in a season where living into that value was highlighted and pushed to the front of my life and calling in some profound ways. And so that is, the, that is one of the practices that resonates with me the most. Um, it's always been true, but especially now. And so talk to me about that, where, you know, you're working in a, into the American context, mm -hmm. and, and talk to me about your work, your thinking, your work around race and justice in the American context. Mm. Um, there was a kind of building up um, of of the highlighting of this area of racial injustice in America, in America. We had always been living with it. We had always been living with stories of it. But in the context of COVID, there was more of a captive audience. And there began to be this slow building of a narrative, narrative expressed through stories and videos and articles and stats that convey, conveyed that America hadn't had still had work to do on the racial reconciliation front on the racial justice front and so we were all locked in our homes in COVID and these narratives kept continuing to build quicker and quicker and quicker and quicker until it seemed every three days we were confronted with some new version that attempted to awaken us to a reality that we had uh, culturally um, set aside and determined not to pay attention to. And so when that poor boy George died on the streets of Minneapolis, and um, it was a catalyst for a movement of racial reconciliation to begin, I, I was drafted, conscripted. <laughs> the Lord has need of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I flew down, to, uh, flew down to the spot. All I knew was get on the ground and the Lord would... Uh, would advise me. And so I flew down to the spot with a team and really beyond the burnt out buildings and the smoke rising up from the place from banks and post offices as people vented their rage against injustice. But beyond that, God invited me to pay attention to his activity 
to look past the battered buildings and the broken windows and people raging in the street with megaphones to see the hand of God at work, giving a nation an opportunity to address these things and, and come up with different answers this time. And so I felt conscripted at that time to both return to the front lines of racial justice and to bring the 24-7 movement here in the United States along with me to, uh, to attempt to move this issue uh, in the arena of on earth as in heaven, to begin to address these things in biblical and godly ways, to bring the impact of the kingdom of heaven into these places that are broken and calling out for reformation. And so for you, it wasn't an issue out there, you know, in, in another place with another people. I mean, you've got your own experience, your own story mm-hmm. of, of um, wrestling around issues of, of race and racial reconciliation and lack thereof. Is, is, is there anything that you'd like to share around that? Well, I think it, that it's an overarching truth, particularly here in America, um, that most African Americans have their own narratives covering the span of their life that is an example of their encounters with with racism, their encounters with prejudice and discrimination that is centered on their race. And if if the full body of our work was told, uh, it would be so obvious even to those who are considered classical deniers, so obvious the truth of racial injustice still, um, still a part of the American experience. Our stories aren't often made, they don't often uh, show up in the stats that the researchers do. They don't often show up in the reports that say, well, this many, um, this is the percentage of things happening here. But if you were to collect our, our, our narrative, you would see that almost every African-American in America could tell you story upon story upon story of, of, of interactions with racism. So it's true, I have personal experience with it. Um, every African-American that I know has personal experience with it. But for a long time, unless people were um, activists in this arena, uh, the fuller body of the African-American experience was to sort of um, put your head down and keep going. Just, just you know, roll with it. Make the shifts personally that are needed. Um, make yourself smaller. Modify your personality. Put away those things that would be identity markers of of your blackness in order to move about in society where you were the minority. The name of the game was assimilate. Mm. And um, African Americans, we and myself included, we got really good at assimilating in order to make our way in the world, in order to get ahead, in order to not have doors closed to us. And so this idea of America as the great melting pot made sense to us because in a, in a way it was, our, it was our culture that was being melted away. Mm. <laughs> but 
in kingdom context, um, really any nation and any people, there's this ideology that it's not a melting pot God is after, but rather a mosaic where we can bring the full measure uh, of our uniqueness and our culture to bear to create something that is not homogenized, that it doesn't all look alike, that we're all not we're, we're not all bending to the pressure of the predominant culture to to shape ourselves to look like that, but rather God in, is inviting peoples to live more fully into our uniqueness, to express ourselves, to no longer tuck those things away in the name of getting ahead, but actually bring those things out in the name of strengthening the whole. So that I mean, earlier we talked about you know kingdom of heaven breaking in. For me, that's that's what the kingdom looks like, mm-hmm. right? Where we are all. What was it? I can't remember who said it, but the glory of God is man and woman fully alive, you know, fully themselves. And so let's just talk for a little minute. Let's kind of land this in the biblical narrative. You know, what does, what does it look like? What, is, what does scripture teach us about race and racial reconciliation? Well, scripture teaches quite a bit on this subject in the Old Testament and the New. But I suppose if I had to land on a, one central Scripture, it would be somewhere in Revelations where we're getting a peek at what, what, uh, on, what in heaven is like. And that there is this imagery of all different type of people groups standing before the throne. And what I really like about this is that God could have, in his description, he could have simplified uh, just the fact that that there were the multitude standing before him. He could have spent time investing on, investing words in what the throne was like or what he was like. But he spent the body of that passage, that vision, talk high, specifically highlighting not just that people were standing before him, but people with different culture, different ethnos, different language, different tribes. That was God's opportunity to really whitewash the whole thing, to just say people groups, to say it didn't matter their their ethnicity, their tribe or whatnot. The only thing that matters is that, is that they all had white robes on. That was his chance. But in that space, he chose to highlight that was a big deal for him. That was one of his delights. One of the, the reasons that he made us and pushed play on humanity is that he could express his creativity in this context. And so there where he really could have focused on, on homogenization and only the highlighting of his goodness, he said, no, no. I want you to pay attention to some things. Look at the tribes. Look at the diversity. Look at the language. Look at the ethno. He brought it all to the forefront when talking about um, in heaven and before his throne. And I know our propensity is want to is want to ignore the cultural differences, the language, the language differences, ignore ethnicity to say we don't see culture. To um, but but God is not like that. That He expressly sees it and is trying to create a people who will learn to celebrate it, who will learn to interact with it, who will learn to allow their lives to be integrated and impacted by it, and thus ultimately um, strengthened as a result. It's amazing. It's such a beautiful picture, isn't it? And just. I love, I mean, the, the vision of the kingdom um, 
just the fulfillment of who we are, <laughs> you know, before mm-hmm. him, in him, mm-hmm. with one another. Why is it so difficult for us to address topic of race in healthy ways? Because it, it, it's hard. It really, yeah. really, really is. Um, there's, it's almost as if there's this complex uh, inner working of self-defense mechanisms that, uh, that appear when there is an attempt to talk about um, really anything relating to the equality of all mankind. It seems from the book of Genesis all the way until Jesus comes, there is a struggle for uh, men to exalt themselves in a lot of different contexts, not just race, to exalt themselves above others and to other uh, those who are not a part of their in-group or their people group. And and it seems like um, that that is one of the problems of walking around in flesh and being humans is that this equality of all mankind, the, the imago Dei, um, st- uh, stamped into the image of all men, and that that is, that is something that requires intentionality and consistency. It is not something that is automatic. That if, if left to our own devices, we would all stay in our own tribes, in our own people groups, and have very little interaction with one another. Um, but God had a different idea in mind. So I think it's complicated because it is, uh, it is painful to have to admit the realities that we all might have biases and blind spots when it comes to addressing this. And a lot of unconscious bias that we're just not even uh-huh. aware of. We just don't know that it is difficult to, to, um, to accept that, that our behaviors out of a good heart, out of a heart that's not racist, but that our, our behaviors, uh, the impact can be racist, the impact can be that of inequality, even though in our hearts it's actually the obvious. Um, those, these are dichotomies that are just not comfortable to look at. And then the impact of racism in America is something I think that so many would rather not have to spend time taking a look at because it's harmful and it's painful and it's just easier to say, well, let's just move on. But you can't move on from something that is so deeply rooted in the nation it requires a space for God to sort of take our roots and then let them reveal them in, 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 in the air. Just sort of take the roots and, and shake them and, and lift them up and, and invite us to address it in different ways than, than simply ignoring it and pretending like it, it just doesn't exist anymore. And the specific ways that you've been addressing it mm-hmm. are... <laughs> Education, right? Even yes, raising awareness, um, helping the body of Christ understand that this is an issue of the kingdom of God, and helping the body of Christ understand that our places, our place is on the front line of this issue. Helping shape the narrative, helping uh, bring the the values of the kingdom into the conversations. Um, that our place is on the front lines because it's our vocation to uh, to be a witness in places of injustice. It's our vocation to move toward bringing shalom into our culture. It's our vocation to uh, 
to sol- to show solidarity with those who, who are being marginalized or oppressed to one degree or another in this context because of the color of their skin. So I get the uh, glorious and hard um, opportunity to step in both to serve as an activist in this arena, but also to serve as an equipper for the church so that she can take her place in this arena. Oh, we're grateful for the work that you do. <laughs> and, 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 and grateful for, for, I just have watched you kind of in play doing what you're doing with such a graciousness and open-heartedness, you know, towards, um, you've met a lot of resistance. You've met a lot of, you know, unkindness. <laughs> and I've seen, I think when I think about our vows to be true, to be kind, you know, and I've seen the kind, you've been strong, but you've been kind, which really has been beautiful to watch you, you know, work out your calling in, in what can often feel like a very hostile environment. Mm-hmm. And so I've just learned a lot from you in there and mm-hmm. love and respect you in that. Um, and so why is, is racial reconciliation important work for us all, for everyone, not just for, you know, a black woman living down in Tulsa, Oklahoma? At the heart of it, racial reconciliation is rooted in the second command that God gave to us all. You know, there's there's a beauty and a wisdom to a to a God who, um, who birthed humans and wants to shape the culture that they live in because He feels a responsibility to raise them up into the into the full-bodied image of His Son. And frankly, that kind of work, in my mind, would take 10,000 books. And yet he has this ability to express this, this complicated thing and reduce it down to its simplest vernacular. Love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The, this, this work of racial reconciliation is really rooted in helping human beings live out that second command. And it's, it's complex in its work, but it's simple in its aim. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. So talk to me, how does OMS, how does being a member of the order help you in that, support you in that? Well, OMS is a global order. And so um, at its heart, it is integrated. It, it, at its heart, it, it is culturally diverse, that it is not simply a, close, a cluster of people who, you know, look the same, come from the same place, speak the same, you know, language, have the same ideology, as it were, but rather it is, it is made up of people from vastly different cultures with vastly different values, and yet... It holds space for diversity because we rally around these six practices that are kingdom-oriented, and we commit to one another, and we commit to humanity around unifying around these themes. So um, I really love the OMS order because of its six practices and because it is a place of diversity. And hopefully ever-increasing diversity. So we're working on it. We're... We're working on it slowly by slowly, and and so grateful to have friends like you in the order who help us think through things and and reach beyond ourselves. And yeah, um, yeah. And I think too, one thing I wanted to, we've talked about, you know, racial justice and the American landscape because that's where your 
you know, you, you live and work and are embedded, but, but just really aware too. I think a lot of our listeners from the UK is so much work needing to be done in, in the UK as well. And with racial reconciliation, I think we've got the anniversary of uh, where the Windrush generation, you know, has arrived on the shores of the UK and, and how we, we did not exert the biblical practice of hospitality. <laughs> we failed as a nation at that time. And, you know, again, I, I have got lots of friends in the UK who are doing similar kinds of work, who just have story after story. The work is not done. Actually, it feels like the work is only really just beginning, you know, in the UK as well. And so, yeah, lots to be done. Lots to be done. So, Lisa, can, thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. And your insight. And... Um, could you pray for all of us? Would that be all right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dad, it's me. I want to thank you for sending that wild Nazarene my way to invite me into this magnificent kingdom of many tribes, and many tongues, and many cultures. I pray on earth as in heaven that you would teach us to walk together and yoke our strength, that you would teach us what it means to walk in unity that doesn't homogenize, that doesn't seek to assimilate and colonize, but rather highlights the distinctiveness of each tribe and culture and tongue and leverages it to strengthen us and make us better and a more profound witness, prophetic witness to the world of what can be. Father, I pray, on earth as in heaven would be a core value embedded into the lives of every OMS member and anyone hearing the sound of my voice in this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the Order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go.